everybody, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you here. Finally, it looks like COVID-19 is behind us. Uh, not that it is if you look at what the fear-mongering experts uh, continue to say, but by just looking around. Most people are not wearing masks, for example. Uptake on the boosters is pretty low all across the country, and it feels like people just want to move on. Now, having said that, there are a lot of unanswered questions about the way that all levels of government, but especially the federal and provincial governments, handle the pandemic. Everything from all but putting a gun to your head to get vaccinated, to repeated lockdowns, uh, mask mandates, and um, social distancing measures, and we couldn't meet our friends and family over the holidays. Uh, there was a restriction on our mobility. And in places like Quebec, even nighttime curfews, something we associate more with tin pot dictatorships than a free society like Canada. A lot of people are looking for accountability, which we've not yet had from any of our elected officials. My guest today wants to change all of that. He's a very distinguished Canadian with a stellar record of public service, none less than Preston Manning whose influence in shaping the present Conservative Party is incalculable. Mr. Manning has continued uh, to be in public life, and most recently, he's called for a citizen's inquiry into the pandemic to figure out what was done right, what was done wrong, and where do we go from here uh, in the event of future pandemics or other emergencies which are sure to occur at some point in the future. So Preston Manning, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time. Um, I would love to learn more about your motivation in calling for this citizen's inquiry into the pandemic. Could you tell us what the citizen's, citizen's inquiry is? What would be involved? How are the commissioners going to be picked? Uh, who will testify? So basically, in other words, what are the nuts and bolts of how the citizen's inquiry will work and what exactly are you hoping, hoping to accomplish? Okay, now there's about eight questions. <laughs> I'll start with the first one. I guess uh, like what this is, is a, a project to uh, establish a, a national, independent, citizen-led inquiry, public inquiry into uh, what went right, what went wrong, and what lessons can be learned from the uh, COVID-19 experience. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the motivations behind it, one is I, I personally keep hearing from a large number of people saying there should be some kind of inquiry into this thing. And uh, we actually set up a website, this nationalcitizensinquiry.ca, where people can go to it and indicate, do you want this type of an inquiry. And so, so far, there's been about 20,000 people that have said, yes, they want an inquiry. Uh, a second thing is that earlier this, uh, or last month, or mid-October, we had a, uh, or a survey was done, a public opinion survey was done, in which 74% uh, of Canadians said they were hurt by one or the other of the health protection measures, which is a pretty serious number. This isn't hurt by COVID yeah. and the statistics on that. And there were people that were seriously hurt by them. Mm -hmm. These were people saying they were hurt by the, uh, the health protection measures in four categories, either their health was okay. hurt in some other way uh, or their rights, they felt their rights and freedoms were infringed 
or the the uh, there was a social harm, particularly from the social distancing, and then the uh, harms to the economy from the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So those are two pretty important reasons, I think, to have this kind of uh, uh, inquiry and and to have it citizen led. There's so much suspicion out there, and there'll, there'll be suspicion about this too. That if the governments were to have a inquiry, it would be them investigating themselves which would uh, a lot of people be skeptical about that. So this was a survey that was conducted by the by by uh, the citizens. Um, uh, who, who conducted the survey, Preston? It, it was done by one of the pollsters. It's actually on this website. It was okay. done by one of the pollsters that does these regular okay. uh, polls every every month. And okay. we, we talked him into attacking a couple of questions about this COVID thing onto that survey. So it's a... Okay. Uh, it was a sample of 1,500, 1,600 people, but quite, uh, you know, that's a fairly interesting statistic. And, and it right. varied a bit across the country, depending on what region you were in. Right. And did, did uh, one of the questions address uh, vaccine injuries by any chance? Not specifically. The, the two okay. questions one was were of these four harm mm. categories, okay. uh, which, which one affected you and your family most mm. seriously? Mm -hmm. And the social impacts came up uh, okay. highest on that one with the, right. the health and economic impacts almost equal, just slightly less. Then the second question was, which of these harm categories do you think affected the largest number of people? Which one affected mm -hmm. the country as a whole, as distinct from you and your family? And the economic harms came up on the top of that uh, of that list. So th those were the two questions and those are the answers. And there's a bit of a breakdown by region and by uh, by gender that people can take a look at. Okay. So could you tell us why you're pushing for a citizen's inquiry and not an official government inquiry? Uh, well, one well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in one sense, the, the, the yeah. mechanism for having public inquiries, there's a public, the, the Public Inquiries Act, the federal one, and, and there's a number of provincial statutes, Inquiries yeah. Act. Uh, but the suspicion there is if the government holds it under that, that the, the, the government really controls this investigating itself. And there's so much skepticism uh, about that, that the credibility of that would be uh, challenged. Uh, if, the, if the government does it, it, the suspicion is it's a whitewash. If, if the opposition parties gang up and say, we're going to have mm -hmm. it, then the suspicion is, well, it's a political witch hunt. So... The idea was to endeavor to have this citizen-led, and what mm -hmm. one of the people visit this website. The one thing they're asked: Do you support this idea? Register here. But yeah. the second question they're asked is: Who would you trust to conduct this? Uh, we, we have to get commissioners for this independent inquiry, and yeah. we're asking people: Who would you trust to be uh, to conduct this inquiry? And, and so far. Mm -hmm. There's this is just very early, so it's a little too early to tell what people think in yeah. in large numbers. But there seem to be two lines of thought on that. Some people say you need somebody that's very objective, like a retired judge, someone that's distant from you know hasn't mm. been connected with the government or with the interest groups or whatever you want objectivity, sort of judicial objectivity. Other people say, but but you're going to have to have expertise on that. Mm -hmm. panel. There have to be a medical person, there should be a civil liberties person, there should be an economist, uh, whatever. And typical of, you know, when you ask Canadians, do you, can, mm -hmm. do you want this or that, why can't we do both? <laughs> 
<laughs> and probably what'll come out is that maybe the chief commissioner should be this uh, arm's length objective kind of person, but have others on that panel. The idea is to have five commissioners, have right. the others represent more expertise. Yeah. And, and the intent is to get to people to testify at this economy, as to the imp uh, uh, at this inquiry, as to the yeah. impacts on themselves. And, mm -hmm. and people that are going to testify are told two things. One is you'll testify under oath. There'll yeah. be a commissioner of oath there to ask you to affirm that what you're saying is true and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, which mm -hmm. is a good addition. And secondly, you'll be subject to cross-examination by someone who's probably pretty knowledgeable about this. Yeah. That That's the... Uh, attempt yeah. to that's the framework for the inquiry yeah uh, i mean one downside of a citizen's inquiry is that any conclusion the commissioners reach uh, in the report would not have any teeth and not binding but then to be fair um, as we know for example the uh, public inquiry into the emergencies act which is ongoing now it's an official inquiry mandated by law but it also has no teeth um, so, I mean, there's been some criticism by some academics and some, some from some quarters that the citizens' inquiry that you envisage is biased towards those who are opposed to government mandates or vaccination, and more generally, uh, they make the claim that it will be divisive uh, and polarizing in an area which is already uh, proved to be <laughs> pretty polarizing. How do you respond to such criticisms? Well, well, a couple of things. First of all, yeah. we say to someone like that, why don't you go and testify then and say exactly that? Yeah. Why don't you go and present your side that you think the other group is providing misinformation or prejudice? But mm -hmm. you understand, you will be asked to affirm what yeah. you are saying is the truth the mm -hmm. whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's not mm -hmm. embellished with a whole bunch of other things. And you will be subject to cross-examination. So yeah. if you want balance there, why don't you go and provide it? Second thing we say is we'll do everything we can to make it as objective as possible. And rather than prejudge the thing, prejudges like prejudice that comes from the same root, rather yeah. than prejudge this and saying, oh, it's not going to work, it's going to be biased, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't we wait and do it and then yeah. make a judgment? as to whether it was objective or not. And then the yeah. third thing I say, we'll, we'll do everything we can to make it objective. It will at least be as objective as the CBC. It'll yeah. be as objective as the, as the editorial page of the Toronto Star. And yeah. it will be as objective and ideology free as your yeah. Department of Political Science at the university. These are the mm -hmm. great models of objectivity to which yeah. we will aspire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things that I wanted to chat with you about was, you know, our Westminster parliamentary system is uh, notable for its lack of accountability, especially when a government has a majority in parliament or a de facto majority, as we have right now with the NDP supporting the liberals. Um, as I, you know, and I've talked about this with other guests on the show, um, you know, Canada has an incredible deference by the judiciary to the government, uh, much more so, say, in the U.S., uh, for example, key parts of Biden's um, mandates uh, on the pandemic were shredded by the courts. Nothing like this has happened in Canada. And when a government doesn't have to face voters for another four years and they can just hope that everything just disappears, what kind of accountability do we really have in our system? Um, I, I suppose your citizens' uh, inquiry is one way of getting that accountability, although it's going to be non-binding. Um, my question really is, do we need more checks and balances, and how would we get them in our system where the prime minister is all-powerful? 
Well, well, that's a huge question. In a way, it's it's beyond this uh, COVID thing. But with, yeah. with respect to the uh, this citizen inquiry, it, it can yeah. come up with recommendations. If it was a royal commission, it that could come up with okay. recommendations too. But there's there's no way that you can bind the government to implement the uh, yeah. recommendations of a royal commission. Other other than you create enough public support that says. Yeah that recommendation should be followed. And, and that kind of public interest and support can be generated just as much by the citizens one as by a, mm -hmm. uh, a, a royal commission. And uh, I think the intent of this is to, the ultimate intent is to be positive, is to say, okay, listen to all the things that went right, the things that went wrong. But at the end of the day, and in fact, if I, if I was one of those commissioners, uh, the last question I would ask of any, any witness, no matter what they'd said is okay, you've related your experience, your, your perspective, what, what could be done different? Yeah. What would you recommend so that the next time there's a national crisis, it's better managed? And so hopefully the recommendations that come out of this are a list of things that could be done. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're endeavoring to get enough uh, public support to have moral suasion to get those uh, things uh, implemented. And, and it, as a federal election comes along, one of the questions yeah. then will be, uh, how was this COVID uh, thing managed? Here's a bunch mm -hmm. of recommendations. Do you or do you not support mm -hmm. these recommendations? Mm -hmm. well, what's been the general reaction to the uh, citizens' inquiry, um, uh, uh, the, especially the political reaction, if any? Well, well there, there's say there's been a lot of people go to this website and say yes, they want it, which is really what prompted this in the first yeah. place. The mm -hmm. credibility is a rest on three things, probably the yeah. number of people that say, yes, we want it. Yes, mm -hmm. we want it. The credibility of these commissioners, uh, yeah. are they pe people that folks have confidence in? And the third will be that the testimony that's actually given at these hearings, that that'll add to the uh, credibility. And so far, there's been an increasing amount of uh, interest in it. Our, our next challenge is actually to identify these uh, commissioners and we're asking more and more people to go, who would you trust? Who would you trust? Give us the names. Mm -hmm. Try and investigate them. Yeah. Have uh, Do you know of any other country uh, countries that have um, uh, come up with this uh, kind of inquiry? Well, I believe I haven't followed it closely. I think in Australia there was a, a senator that uh, Okay. Uh, th th this was more in the political arena. There was a senator that uh, uh, organized an inquiry sort of like this. Now, of course, he was an elected person, so it had the uh, right. political flavor. I think it was an independent senator, but it had the mm -hmm. political flavor to it. And what we said to the political, we're not asking the political people to take a position on this. I mean, people have, yeah. uh, I believe there was a liberal backbencher actually introduced a private member's bill saying the government should have mm -hmm. this. We haven't tried to talk them one way or the other. In fact, we've said, why don't you let this happen and 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 uh, and see, see if it is of yeah. benefit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, st stepping from the citizens' inquiry, if you were to take um, stock of where we are in Canada right now, would you say that we have uh, uh, now become a much more polarized society? Um, um, you know, you have on the one hand um, these gungo enthusiasts on vaccines and other restrictions and those who are critical of them. And, and also what looks like a resurgence of a major geographical divide between uh, Western Canada and Central Canada. Um, to my mind, all of these 
point to signs of trouble going forward. Where do you think we stand? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Well, well yeah, I'm concerned about this po polarization. Yeah. I mean, it's very yeah. pronounced in the United States, and we'll pr probably yeah. see how that affects the uh, the, yeah. the uh, elections. But uh, I, I worry about this uh, polarization, and uh, mm -hmm. the, the democratic mm -hmm. process and democratic mm -hmm. institutions are supposed to be able to handle that yeah. that people with differing views or freedom of speech to argue for their position uh, they, they ought to be arguing it in an elected assembly where people are accountable for what they uh, hear and what they do and then that assembly comes to some kind of a conclusion often trying to find the common ground between those uh, the, those uh, polarized opinions and the fact that we seem to have lost that ability and, and the, the contempt that the government shows for the the parliament the prime minister shows up less and less they you can hardly physically get to the facility yeah. in ottawa there yeah. it, uh, so i think i think this uh, this illustrates a problem right, right across the western world with the democratic mm -hmm. processes democratic institutions and people have to decide whether those need to be renewed in some fundamental way or or else you're going to have this uh, uh, the, the conflict that this continual polarization creates yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. I mean, especially here in Canada, and of course, the pandemic hasn't helped uh, um, with respect to that. Um, you know, you've been involved in the political evolution of Canada, uh, and especially of the conservative movement. And today's conservative party is um, very different from the last progressive conservative government of Brian Mulroney, and arguably even different from the last conservative government of um, Stephen Harper. W where do you think the conservative movement, uh, and by that I mean small c, is today and where is it going? Um, there's always been this impression in Canada that Canada is um, liberal, small l, uh, leaning, and, and it's borne out by the fact that we've had way more liberal governments than conservative governments, at least in our recent history. Do you think that'll ever change? Well, yeah, right now you're more conservative provincial governments uh, than you mm -hmm. do uh, liberal governments. No, I, I think the, uh, you know, I've been involved in the current, the evolution of the current uh, yeah. conservative uh, party, and I think it's headed in the right uh, direction. I, I've known Pierre Polyevra since he was a uh, a teenager. He, mm -hmm. he was on my board actually in Calgary Southwest as a teenager. He had political interests way back there and uh, I think he'll make a constructive uh, uh, contribution. I, I think it's important for people in different parts of the country to understand the politics of the other. Yeah. Uh, you cannot understand Quebec pop, uh, Quebec uh, politics without understanding nationalism, soft nationalism, hard nationalism. You cannot understand the politics of Western Canada without understanding populism. Populism is to the political culture of Western Canada what soft mm -hmm. nationalism is to Quebec. Mm -hmm. If recognizing that soft nationalism is legitimate uh, in the case of Quebec, no matter how you deal with it, mm -hmm. uh, it ought to be legitimate to recognize the populist roots of the uh, the current Conservative Party uh, coming from the West. Yeah. But I, I think it, I, I say I'm a I'm a 
a conservative ideologically, but I say almost more importantly that I'm a small D Democrat first and foremost. Yeah. And I think there are small D Democrats in, in all the parties. And, and the small D Democrats better be concerned about this deterioration of democratic institutions and democratic process because the whole mm -hmm. thing rests on on that foundation. That foundation goes. It doesn't much matter whether you're liberal, conservative, or socialist, or whatever. Uh, yeah. uh, democracy's in trouble, then we're all in trouble. Yeah. Um, finally, Preston, um, are you optimistic that values of individual liberty, uh, which which have taken a battering in the last uh, two and a half years or so, um, and conservatism may become the dominant ideology in Canada moving forward? Well, I, I think I think the rights and freedoms are under threat, the ones that are supposedly yeah. guaranteed by the Charter, but they existed long before mm -hmm. the the charter mm -hmm. and and Canadians should be alarmed about that. Mm -hmm. If they're not alarmed by it, if, if rights and freedoms can be limited uh, in in the way they have been in the COVID uh, crisis or or for other reasons, then then I think democracy itself is in trouble. What one of the worrisome things about that survey that I mentioned to you, I mentioned yeah. the four categories: uh, mm -hmm. the uh, harms, did you experience harms to your health, your harms, social well-being, your economic well-being, or harms to your rights and freedoms. The one that was mentioned the least was the harms to rights and freedoms, which is, in fact, uh, only 11% said that was the one that worried them the most. Uh, with respect to their personal and family life, and an even lower percentage said that was the the one that was most worrisome on a national basis. And, and what that illustrates to you, and I've talked to mm -hmm. some of the lawyers on yeah. this, they say people do not see the connection between yeah. losing your rights and freedoms and it having an effect on your health, losing your rights and freedoms and having effect on your social well-being, ha yeah. losing your rights and freedoms and, and having an economic effect. The, the, the mandate aspect yeah. of all of those caused those harms, but it got its legitimacy or illegitimacy from the, the attitude toward rights and freedoms. So I, I think what that illustrates is that uh, uh, a lot of work has to be done to stress the importance of of conserving those rights and freedoms, particularly when they're under uh, under pressure through a crisis like the COVID nineteen. Right, and you cannot discount the um, the the power of fear and paranoia, uh, which was uh, very much prevalent uh, during during the two years and continues to be so actually. Um, yeah. you, you wonder, like with November yeah. 11th coming along, in, in Calgary, there's this field of crosses where they have a cross for every mm -hmm. soldier that, that died in the First and Second World War. Mm -hmm. And it's a sobering thing. There's this huge mm -hmm. field along Memorial Drive. There are just thousands and thousands and thousands of people that uh, sacrificed their lives. And uh, for, for what, do you know? For our freedoms. They, they attached them. Yes, yes. And, and for us to ignore that or to be cavalier yeah. about it or say, well, it doesn't, it's not relevant today, that I think that's a huge, uh, a huge mistake. Yeah. And how do we how do we fix that? How do we change that? How do we get well, people to be more, um, more concerned about losing their rights and freedoms? Well, I think a part of it is in the education system, but the education mm -hmm. system doesn't seem to attach a great deal of importance to that either. So by education, I mean more of the education at home, parents yeah. themselves, I mean the mm -hmm. children. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, of the importance of these uh, things and, and getting more people in the political arena that are prepared to advance and defend those uh, uh, th- those freedoms uh, in the public arena. Right. Well, uh, on that note, Preston, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I really appreciate you joining uh, me on the show. It's been a real privilege and pleasure to have you on the show, and I hope we can speak again soon. Okay, well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay.